Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. I am so excited about today's guest. I was able to sit down with Jamie Ivey, the host of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast, and just have a delightful conversation about all things orphan care. But before we get to that, Phil, why don't you share what uh, the first installment is of our mailbag segment? Yeah, I'm super excited for this mailbag segment, as as we talked about last episode, um, because it really is, you know, what are you guys thinking out there? And what are your questions? questions and what are the things that are really nagging at you from what you hear um, either from this podcast or from the things you're experiencing in the field. And so the first uh, question we have comes from Renee and she uh, asked us this question. She said, you know, what do we do? And this was kind of in response to not just one episode in particular, but really in response to several episodes over the course of season one talking about deinstitutionalization, talking about uh, just really emptying out orphanages and family preservation and, and these really important issues. But the tension, and this, this really brings out the tension, and, and her question is, what do we do when orphanages are taken away but families are still not able to care for their children? Is it actually possible to take away these institutions and create a more loving and caring environment for a child in a place of poverty? As much as I want to believe that restoring the families is the answer to the problem, is it possible to change the minds of so many so that people can become advocates for family restoration and against orphanages? Kelly, what do you, what do you think of that? What, what's your response to that, those questions? Wow, that, that is a packed question with a lot of uh, thoughts and emotions that come with it. And one thing I think about is when we were in our adoption process, um, our agency director um, actually told uh, my husband and I that most women, in, in her experience in Ethiopia that she had worked with, had almost an expectation that they would lose a child, whether it was through death or through Uh, poverty and needing to place a child in an orphanage. And so she said, you know, don't be surprised with the lack of emotion that you see. And so that kind of that hit me really hard because I think, you know, we view parenting only from our perspective and we view what's best for a child only from our perspective. Um, So I think to come in and just to to declare, um, you know, no more orphanages is is obviously a little naive, to be honest. I think um, it's it's a desire, but the the piece of family preservation. I mean that that has to, in a sense, change um, years and years and decades of a mindset. And so um, I, I think it's it's obviously worth it. And I think that's why on the ground and and being um, working with with families, but also man, what does family preservation look like and and really getting in there and how are we going to help this family, uh, this mom, this vulnerable uh, woman be able to care for her children? And so those are great, great questions. What are your thoughts, Phil? Yeah, I too. I mean, man, these questions really show the complexity of the issues. Um, It's not easy. There's no magic bullet. And I think Rick Morton said that in his interview uh, in season one. There's no magic bullet. There's no simple answer. There's no, okay, we can just be against orphanages and shut them down tomorrow and that's going to solve all our problems. That would just create a whole new bag of problems that we'd need to deal with. And so much of this, I think you kind of hit it on the the head a little bit, is we got to be learners. We got to go into these places that we're working, even if it's down the street, you know, in a, in a shelter, there's a shelter here where I live in Folsom, California, and it's called Powerhouse Ministries, phenomenal ministry doing work with, with, uh, you know, women who are, who are struggling and, and men who are struggling and, 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 and they work with them. But the first thing you need to do is understand the person, right? We need to understand, uh, these families and, and every family is different. And so some families would be able to 
provide a more loving and caring environment. Others aren't at a place for that. And so we need to enter into those families in those individual situations. We need to enter into the child's individual situation. And we really need to take it on a case-by-case basis and say, what is the best solution for this particular child at this particular time, in this particular setting, in this particular culture, in this particular community, and all the particulars that go on from there? And there's some generalities and that's what we tried to, you know, kind of put forward in, in Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. That's what we've talked a lot about with these, with these guests are the generalities and the theories and the, and the kind of high-level thinking that do apply in general. But there's also specifics that we need to really consider in each instance. And I think that's what we often have here. And that this, this show has really fleshed out a lot of it is we have a tension in our world today of theory and and practice we have a tension of the the high level tree or forest view and it conflicts and comes into to uh conflict potentially with the tree view and so when you're looking at it from the forest you have a very different perspective and you you really work in that ideal which we need to be in we need to work in there But we also need to understand and work in the realities of today. And we need to work in that tension simultaneously. And it gets really hard. It gets really messy. But so much of it starts with being humble, having a humble posture, being a learner, constantly asking questions and actually listening to the answers, not hearing what you want to hear out of it, not hearing what, you know, have that confirmation bias going on. Um but instead to really listen and learn. And so I just, you know, I thank you, Renee, for, for your question because it does tease out some of these really, really hard issues. And I, I know that, you know, we're obviously, we didn't just all of a sudden ding, 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 we just answered it and we're good to go now. Um, with it, this, this, is, this is what we're hoping to continue this conversation and continue to uh, really explore these, these questions through this show and off, you know, off the uh, air, so to speak, when we're, when we're talking and really doing this stuff around the world. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the thoughts I also had was it, it also starts with, with you or, and it starts with me and, and really approaching this with what can I do? Um, what's my role to play in this? And so I think that really leads into of the discussion that I was able to have with Jamie Ivy. She is an adoptive mom. She is a podcaster, an author, um, and also a speaker and, uh, and a friend of mine. And we've known each other for many years. And, and so I was, just, we were able to kind of talk about how how can you address all of these issues even um from the states how can you address these issues just as a as a an individual and and how she has done that is is really uh, inspiring and also i, I think you're going to learn a lot from her so let's get to it I'm so glad to have you on today and I know pr- most people are not going to know this but you and I have known each other goodness a long time ago long time ago this was like you were new mama when I first met you and I have a thir- an almost 13 year old I know that's, that's crazy it is crazy it is crazy yeah you and then I remember um, you guys we went to the same church just to give people just an idea of what how we have a connection we went to the same church and Aaron led worship and yes. it, it was super fun. It was so fun, and it feels like lifetimes ago since then. It really does. We've, we, I think we've both experienced <laughs> a, a lot of life. A lot has yeah, happened. A lot of life. <laughs> a lot has happened. So I want you, if you just want to tell just a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your family, and kind of what, what, how you spend your days. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, my name is Jamie, and my husband is Aaron, and we live in Austin, Texas. We moved here after we moved in a little. I can't even talk today, Kelly. It's too early. (laughs) We moved to Austin after we lived in Tennessee, which is where we lived together at the same time. So we've been here eight years. Wow. Which feels like we've been here forever, which is crazy. Um, My husband's a worship pastor at a church called the Austin Stone Community Church. And I get the privilege of doing a podcast every day. I'm also a writer and a speaker and mama to four. So my oldest is 12. And then we have an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And so we're just busy doing kid stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
my husband and I look at each other all the time and just think, what happened? Like <laughs> they used to go to bed at seven and now they're just, which we love. We are loving this stage of life with older kids. It's a lot of fun. It's so different than we thought it was going to be, but it's great. So that's how, so I spend my days working from home. Um, and then about four o'clock, I am got my mom hat on for the rest of the day. Love it. I love it. I can totally relate to that. So tell our audience a little bit about your adoption story and kind of what led you and Aaron to pursue adoption and how that process went for you guys. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people ask, did you guys always know that you wanted to adopt? And the answer is no. We never, ever had a conversation about it. Dating our first year of marriage ever. I didn't know anyone that had adopted until we moved to Tennessee. And when we started going to a church there in Tennessee, it literally felt as though everyone around us was adopting from China. Hey, uh, I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, it felt as though everyone was adopting from China. And I was just, it was this new thing for me. And so I taught at a homeschool co-op that was at our church. And I remember my friend Gwen brought her little girl, Emily, home from China. And I always say that stories change the world. And for me, watching Gwen's story unfold, it literally changed the trajectory of our family. And so I go, I watched her go through that and bring her daughter home. And through watching people's stories unfold of adoption, God started moving in Aaron and I's heart. Mm. And so we were young. Um, at the time, I had a baby. And so Literally, Kelly, we my oldest, Caden, was about nine months old, and we walked into an adoption agency. I mean, how dumb and naive is this? And we just said, we don't really know what we're doing, but we think we're supposed to adopt. I mean, that is how it went down, and that's crazy. Um, no books read, no, no conferences, nothing. Mm -hmm. We literally walked in as very two young, naive people um, with a nine-month-old baby and said, we're ready to adopt. And so we they talked to us about it, and literally all I knew was this um, – country from China that people were bringing babies home from. And so we didn't qualify for most countries, but they told us there was a really big need for domestic adoption for black and biracial boys mm. at the time. And so we said, sure, that sounds great, you know, and we did not have a preference on sex or race. And so we were in. And so that led us to our first son uh, that we adopted, Deacon. And he was born in Texas when we were still living in San Antonio. And so that was our first little kind of step into adoption. And it was a, a domestic adoption. We have an open relationship with his birth mom. And in fact, you know, I just was tucking him in last night and we were talking about her and he has this picture in her room. And so it's a it's a big part of our world. Um their first families. And so then from there, you know, we just were doing our life, two kids rocking it. And I just felt as though our family was not complete. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. as a mama, I just felt like this isn't it. This isn't it. And Aaron and I went through about a year of really disagreeing on that. And I finally just shut my mouth and prayed and asked God to move in one of our hearts. And so we started to feel like we were going to expand our family again. And the weirdest thing ever is we never talked about having any more biological kids. Um, I don't know why. I cannot explain it except for God. That's mm. really the only reason why. Um, because I loved being pregnant. I loved the whole experience. It just, God never moved in us that way. And so I had visited Haiti about a year before. And so when we felt as though it was time to move again on adding to our family, Haiti just kind of rose to the top as the most mm. um, thing that God had put in our heart. And so from there, we just, um, it's it's a, it's a really crazy story. It's one I don't recommend people doing, but we had some friends that lived there and um, they had this little boy that needed a family. And so we started pursuing him um, through adoption with an agency there. And then I said, listen, we're going to have one more child. And for the first time ever, I'm going to request that I get a, that we, you know, look for a daughter that needs a home. And mm -hmm. so a little girl. And so that's how story came into our world. And so our kids, Amos and Story, are from Haiti, and they've been home almost seven years, which is crazy. Wow. I remember just watching you guys walk that and just the ups and downs that you mm. had of um, bringing your kids home. Um, can you share a little bit about that? Just what it feels like in the midst of of a long process. Yeah, when we did our domestic adoption, it took us from when, from the time we walked in to the agency to the time our son came home, it was 15 months. Mm. And at the time, that felt like the the hardest thing I'd ever walked through. I didn't really know what was ahead or that would have been like, you know, a cakewalk. Mm. Um, and so then our international adoption, when we started the process, we were told, uh, which, you know, everyone's just guessing. There's no way to know. We were told and we were estimated that they'd be home by the next Christmas. So we were looking at maybe about 15 months. And, you know, Kelly, I mean, you've been through this road as mm -hmm. well is that things just shift and things yeah. aren't, 
you can't really tell when you're dealing, especially with a third world country and um, international adoption rules. And it was about two and a half years before when our son finally came home. And Mm. I look back on that time and it was probably the second most hardest thing I've ever been through, which the first would be the year after they came home. But it was just, um, it was a time of where I know that God puts us in seasons. I believe that for that he does that for a reason for us to know him more and to love him more. And I really believe that during that season, it was just a season of waiting and trusting um, and not being in control of anything. I mean, we watched our kids go through hurricanes. My son was still in the country when the earthquake hit. You know, those were just some devastating moments. And so he actually came home about 10 days after the earthquake. That Mm. actually is what brought him home, which is an unbelievable story. But so it was just one of these times as a mama, because we would go visit our kids. So it's different in every country. But for us, Haiti is really close. And we could leave in the morning and be there by that afternoon. So we visit our kids about once every three to four months. So as a mama, having kids in a country where you can only see them four times a year and then having your kids at home, my heart was literally torn in so many different ways for two and a half years. And so the struggle was really, really difficult. And I look back and I'm like, man, God, you use that for so much in my life. Um, Because first of all, I know that these kids are yours before they're mine uh, because I had to feel that so much during that time. And then you just really walked me through seasons of being out of control Mm. Um, and then having to really trust you with my babies. Mm. Man, that's so good. I remember one time after we brought Judson home, he was praying. This, I mean, this is probably almost a year because he finally had language, but and he prayed, uh, God, you are a good dad. Mm. And I just remember that as, that's not language or verbiage we used at the time. And just thinking how God was, he really is the father to the fatherless mm-hmm. and just that having to trust that God was in the midst of um, those times we were separated. Absolutely. So you mentioned a little bit just about um, and I think this is, you know, the, the hard thing about adoption is it's hard to talk about the hard things of adoption because mm-hmm. <laughs> you never want to like. Um, discourage, but you also want to protect your kid's story and mm-hmm. like it's so convoluted and yep. um, but can you share what you feel comfortable with of just what the kind of that initial bringing home and some of the first year uh, what that was like? Yeah, for sure. It was a hard. I had a revelation about probably about three or four months ago where we've been talking about adoption. I mean, you know, my son, the first child that we adopted into our family is almost 11. So this has been a part of our world for a long time. Um, And my kids have been home from Haiti almost seven years. And I have spent a lot of my time um, talking, you know, not on podcasts and where people can keep Mm -hmm. it forever, but, you know, interpersonally with friends about how hard that first year was for me. And I mentioned that as well, but I had a revelation about probably three or four months ago about how hard that first year was for my kids. Mm. Um, And I think I've spent a lot of time selfishly feeling how hard that was for me and neglecting how hard that was for them. And so I try try to talk about it now in a different light. And you're right. It's this weird situation where you want to present, um, Uh, the truth to someone that this is a really hard um, thing to walk through, but you also want to really protect your kids. And and we're, we're really value that protecting our kids and their stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So for now, for me, my tunes changed a little bit about how hard that first year was for my babies to come home. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about it, it doesn't, people in America have sometimes a skewed view unless they've walked through this about, well, they aren't they coming into like a better situation? Isn't this better for them? Um, And it seems that way in our eyes, but they were ripped away from the only thing they've ever known, um, a new culture, new people, new language, all of these things. And so that first year was super hard for my kids. And so as a mom parenting, it was super hard for me as well. Um, We weren't attached. We weren't bonded. It's very different when you're bringing home a child who um, has lived their life someplace else. I read a book. Um, called, oh gosh, oh, um, Forever Mom, What to mm-hmm. Expect When You're Adopting by Mary Osteen. And she said something in there that really clicked with me. She said, as parents, when we give love to the kids that maybe we've had since birth or we grew in our stomach and we give love to them, they reciprocate it, right? Mm-hmm. It's just what happens. Yeah. And then you bring a four and a half year old home and you give love to them and they don't know how to reciprocate it. Yeah. And as adults, sometimes that can put us into a little tailspin of like, what? 
You're not, you know, we don't know how to handle that. And so I think that's what made the situation so hard for me in the beginning is I did not know how to handle giving love and not getting love back. Yeah. And so I think that's in no fault to anybody. It's no fault to my kids. It's no fault um, to anyone, except that's what I kind of want to talk about when I talk to people about that first year is just understanding that things aren't going to feel the same mm-hmm. on both ends mm-hmm. from your, your child to you and you to your child as maybe other kids that you have parented um, or walked through before. And so I think that's what makes those years so hard is kind of learning that dance and understanding giving love to a child and not having it immediately given back to you is okay. Mm, that's good. Because I think we go into it with such high expectations, especially after a long wait, you know, mm. where where you are just yes. so ready to um, have them in your home, whether they're older or younger. And mm. um, you, you know, we kind of adopting, you've done domestic and international, but there's language barriers, you know, mm. <laughs> like there's yes. just some, some basic things that, yeah. that, that add to the mix yeah so I know you've mentioned Haiti and you know you've worked with a lot of organizations done a lot of trips um to other countries and worked with it's kind of seen what other organizations do what's your view now on international adoption or just um just what are some things you think would be best practice care for people who are looking to adopt? Like what, what, what would you look for as you're going into maybe an adoption, international adoption? Oh, such a good question. And again, I was so naive when I started adoption and I think that it's a little bit different now. I feel like there's more resources. Do you feel like that? Like I do. I I just feel like there's more resources that I could have gotten my hands on had I started the process now, rather than when I started, you know, 12 years ago and just walked into an agency and said, Hey, we're here. Um, which is, I just laugh at the, you know, what we did. But um, a friend of mine wrote a book called Defense of the Fatherless. Mm. And let me get the whole title. It's called Defense of the Fatherless, Redeeming International Adoption Orphan Care by Sarah Brenton. Mm. And um, it's a book I highly, highly recommend for people who are adopting internationally. Um, She doesn't bash international adoption. In fact, her family has a child that they brought into their family that through adoption internationally. But what she does and what I really appreciated in the advice I would give people is that she just maybe makes your eyes open up a little bit more to some of the bad things that can happen in international adoption. And so, for instance, I mean, you've got to be cautious about everyone wants to get a baby, right? Mm -hmm. I want a little baby. I want a little baby. But then we're overlooking, you know, older kids who don't have families um, mm-hmm. that need families. And then where, why is the orphanages full of babies? Where are all these babies coming from? Mm-hmm. You know? And so just to think through those things, I think it's our obligation as people who are stepping into adoption is to look at everything from a big view and not just, I want to fulfill my need for a child or not fulfill my need, but you know, to look at it from a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really important. I'm a really, I'm a really big fan of adoption. Obviously our family has three kids through adoption. I'm also a really big fan of orphan prevention, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely eliminating the need for this. I think that, um, I think that God's perfect best plan for a child would be to be raised by his biological mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And we just know that that's not reality for a lot of um, children in the world, in the States and internationally. And so then I think adoption is a great thing. Um, I also think it's a great thing for us to come aside vulnerable women in different countries and say, Mm -hmm. hey, we want to help you so that you don't have to. Um, send your kids to an orphanage. And so I'm really for both practices. And she talks a lot about that in the book. So I highly recommend that. We will definitely have that linked on our show notes. And that's one I'm definitely going to pick up as well. Um, I love that you kind of bridge to what another thing I want to chat with you about, because I think you have probably highlighted um, just the need to support vulnerable women around the world, probably as best as I've seen many, many people do it. Um, and so some of the ways I've seen, you've probably, they're the first person I've seen just that I know, um, just to kind of, man, look at where you're purchasing things. Mm-hmm. Stop and think about where did this, where was this, where was this made? And mm-hmm. how can we use our dollars to, um, like you said, prevent orphans? And I think a lot of times we don't think about it that way of when I'm going to, you know, big box store or anything mm-hmm. like that. So share a little bit about that and kind of how you were exposed to um, just how how our purchase power can help, in a sense, prevent orphans. 
Yeah, that's so good. And man, I try to do this little by little. And one of the, my favorite things about hosting a podcast is that I get to bring people on who are really smart about this mm-hmm. and have businesses and organizations that are doing this. And I get to showcase them for my listeners. But for me personally, um, one of my great friends is Jessica Honiger, who is the CEO and founder of Noonday Collection. Mm-hmm. And so that was brought into my world from the very beginning um, about her whole purpose in having her jewelry collection that is actually um, resource she buys from different countries. And most of the people that are getting jobs are vulnerable women who are then getting an income and being able to provide for their family. And so that was probably one of my first interactions with um, a company that was doing stuff like that. And then throughout then, I mean, if you look around, people say, well, I don't know where to do, but if you look, I don't know where to buy. If you look around, there really are so many organizations Mm -hmm. that are stepping up and saying, hey, we're actually going um, to try to help these women in different world and different countries be able to keep their kids. You know, I just, I know you've had Chris Marlowe on your show Mm -hmm. and I just, I just took a trip with them. And one of the, I mean, the whole trip was about showcasing what they're doing for women and empowering them, giving them skills and jobs so that they then can take care of their family. Mm -hmm. And I think just when we kind of pick our heads up out of the sand and realize, hey, we can have an impact here. You can have an impact on the coffee you buy. You Mm -hmm. can have an impact on the shoes that you buy, the jewelry, all of these things, you really can't have an impact. And so for me, I know a lot of my friends, you know, like my friend, Laura, she's always saying, hey, spend more and buy less. So, Mm. yeah, some of these things are going to cost more. Right. I mean, a pair of shoes that are made in Guatemala by a man who now can feed his family, Mm -hmm. you know, may cost me one hundred and twenty dollars and I can get some flats at Target for 19. But they're going to last me longer and the impact is longer. So Mm. I may just buy one pair of shoes this season instead of, you know seven from Mm -hmm. I won't say the name but I think I already did but you know what I mean (laughs) yeah I did Um, so I think that and you know what y'all listen I still struggle with this Mm -hmm. are you kidding like I still struggle but I think the more that we can each just try to put it in our mindset just a little bit to change small things makes a big difference Mm -hmm. we went and I went I was shopping with my girls this past weekend and we have this cute little store in the town I live um, that is all you know artisan based Mm -hmm. and it's all the purpose is to give back and we walked in there and the girls are looking around and they're kind of looking at me and they're like mom this stuff's you know it's kind of expensive and Mm -hmm. I was able to have that conversation with them of well this is why Mm -hmm. and and um, and then having to be able to say, you know, that exact thing. We can probably buy one or two things, but that may be it for a while. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they were totally cool with that. Like it wasn't like, well, then take me to, you know, big box store. Exactly. Um, and, and so I think that's such a, a great thing that the more people realize man, you are keeping a family together Mm. um, and your money really doesn't, you don't have to sponsor a child, which we highly recommend, but it really can be as simple as where I purchase my Christmas gifts this this season and things like that. What are some other places? um, I'm going to get a list from you and actually I'm just going to link to your show where you um, highlighted um, a ton of businesses that were doing this kind of thing. So that'll be available for, for people who are listening as well. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. We, I think we did. No, I know we did. Hello. Um, a whole show last year on, you know, buying with a purpose. Yes, I think that's great. What you mentioned that you've been on some trips. Tell us a little bit about now that um, I guess the impact it had on you just going and meeting these families, meeting these women um, and seeing how um, different organizations are are preventing orphans and keeping families together. Yeah, I mean, the one I just went on this summer was to Ethiopia with Help One Now. And I, I told you their mission is to empower these women through gi- giving them skills and jobs. And one of the greatest things that I love about trips like this is I am a fan of em- empowering women to do great things. Um, and I think a, long, a lot of times in the you know Christian world that the words empower and women together can ha- have put a little little bad taste in people's mm-hmm. mouth. Um, but what I'm a fan of is empowering women to do the great things that God has set before them to do. Um, and so, you know, when I look around at my girlfriends, I tell them all the time, I'm so proud of you for doing what you're doing for your family, for your business, for your church, for your community. Mm-hmm. You're empowering people. And so when I went on this trip and I see that, man, the same, I'm proud of the same women around the world because look at what you're, you're being empowered to do. You're being empowered to um, provide for your family. You're being empowered to 
give your children dignity. Uh, you're being empowered to actually contribute to the community that you live in. And so for me as a woman who's always wanting to cheer other women on, it's one of my favorite things to do is traveling to Ethiopia and seeing that these that there are women around the world that are doing the same thing that, that I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want I want to show my kids what it means to work hard. I want to be able to provide for my kids. I want to be able to, you know, send my kids to school. They're doing the same things. It looks different. Um, but Help One Now is really, really coming alongside these women and impact, giving them power to do mm-hmm. things. And, and when you do that, they're also preventing orphans, which yes. is one thing that we're talking about that we're so a fan of is that, you know, previously to these women working, uh, you know, one of the ladies, her husband couldn't work because of an illness. And so, you know, they've got five kids mm-hmm. and their kids are eating once every other day and they can't go to school because, you know, hello, it costs money to go to school in most yeah. countries. And so um, to see her, to see her husband smiling and to see her and her little store that she runs in their community and her kids are now eating three meals a day, you know, all five of them going to school and just the pride that she had in what she was doing. I mean, you you can't, that will stay with me forever, seeing her talk about her job. And so I'm a fan of women doing the things that God's called them to do. And I'm a fan of organizations like Help One Now coming alongside these women and giving them the skills and the empowerment to do that. So it's, I love seeing things like that. It's really, really great. It, it'll, it really stirs me on to do good things as well. Mm. I love that story. I know that um, when we adopted, and it's probably the same with you, um, the reason isn't because of a death um, of a parent, or at least our situation wasn't. It was because she literally could not provide for him Mm -hmm. any longer. And her Mm -hmm. only option was to put him in an orphanage. And so um, I, I think we see kind of the impact that that has of just coming, going into countries with, um, with the purpose of giving back dignity, like you mm. said, and restoring those things, um, because it's not that they don't want to get or that they want to give their children up. It's the right. fact that they literally think that's the only option they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so what are some other ways that you think um, just we as Americans <laughs> mm-hmm. um, can can just continue to kind of support women across the across the globe? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about like, you know, thinking about where your purchase is going. Um, Also, man, I think just like look around, look around and see what people are doing on other sides of the world um, and really like investigate. I mean, I. I can speak highly of Help One now. I've seen what they've done on the ground and I know the people, but you know what? There are a lot of organizations that I would say, find what they're doing, investigate what they're doing, see some of the stories that they're doing, and then literally see how can you help. Um, I know I keep talking about Help One now and Chris Marlowe because I've just been, you know, with them, but Mm -hmm. his book that he has, I'm sure Mm -hmm. you guys talked about it, doing good is simple. And so I think one of the things that that I agree with that is just we as Americans, we tend to kind of just see what's right in front of us and think that that's the world. And we could have a whole nother show on, you know, teaching Mm -hmm. our kids about how big the world is. Um, But I think, you know, just thinking about where you purchase, looking around, seeing an organization, I always say, find someone that someone or something that you can invest in around the world and then like jump in, Mm. you know, Um, I always say, get out of America, you know, go on a trip Um, and, you know, be cautious with that. I, I, I have different feelings on mission trips these days, but mm-hmm. be cautious with that. But go see the world. Go see that the world doesn't all look like it looks in Austin, Texas. Um, but there's also places that you can go see right here in our country. You know, there are hurting people and vulnerable kids. And, you know, I a whole nother show as well is foster care. You know, mm-hmm. we could just go on for days about that as well. But there are kids here um, that are going to be in vulnerable situ- situations as well that maybe your church can come alongside a family um, and do stuff like that. You know, we, we do that here at the Stone a lot, which I'm really happy. That's our church. I'm really happy about that. We do a lot to help with foster care. Mm. I know, Jamie, that you also spend a lot of your time um, helping an organization that helps prevent sex trafficking. Um, and, Can you share a little bit about what that looks like and the connection you see between um, really orphan prevention and how that feeds into the sex traffic industry? Yeah, I mean, I started out with an organization called Redeem Ministries. And at first, all I did for them was fundraising. Um, It was something that I could do and I could put on an event for them. So I did that for two years. But for the past year, I've been volunteering with them and I go into our local jail here in Austin uh, once a week and we put on a program for 
the ladies that is really um, the hope of it is to give them some resources for when they are back in the world. Um, resume, job training, all kinds of stuff. But um, I wouldn't do it if there wasn't a faith aspect to it as well. And every week we get to talk about Jesus and how much mm. he loves them and what he's done for them. And so, you know, I mean, this it's all one big circle. You know, mm-hmm. it's so weird because just yesterday I was talking with some girls and, and a lot of our girls in there have kids who mm. are now in foster care. Um, you know, they are now a vulnerable population that's growing up mm-hmm. um, without one parent, sometimes without both parents. Um, and so for me, it's just a lot. It, it all kind of goes together of me coming in and um, not I have nothing to provide them except for the gospel. And so mm-hmm. just being able to tell them about Jesus and how much he loves for them, loves them and how he can transform their life. And hopefully, I mean, when our lives are changed by Jesus, um, not that it gets easier sometimes, uh, but things are different, you know, and he changes our our life. And so I would hope that that would then transform into their parenting, which would then transform into keeping kids out of foster care, which was then transform into these kids growing up um, in a healthy family. So, you know, it's looking around, it's like we're all doing something, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, to pour in and give people the only thing that can change them, which is Jesus. And so that's kind of what I love doing about going to the jail every week. I don't really know. I've never thought about it. So you just asked me about like orphan prevention, but mm-hmm. man, how can we help these mamas, um, get out and be good mamas? Yes. Um, and Jesus can do that for them. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things we like to highlight um, is it is a big circle. And when you um, help a child who's in foster care, you are essentially helping, hopefully, stop the cycle there. And um, and just how it 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 doesn't take much, like you said, just to look around. Um, But it does take intention and it does take research and it does Mm -hmm. take um, saying no to some lesser things so you can say yes to some things that are really good. Um, Well, Jamie, we always end our our time with our guests of just asking two questions. And so the first would be, what are you reading um, right now that has influenced or you can even say what is a book? And you've already mentioned a couple that have influenced your view on just orphan care. Okay. I wrote down a bunch and I've mentioned some of them, mm-hmm. but I'm going to tell you about two more that I read. Um, one recently and one, one recently and one a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, I read a book called Dear Birth Mother by Kathleen Silber. I think you can correct that in the mm-hmm. show notes, but mm-hmm. I read this when we were adopting domestically. So, you know, it was a long time ago, but it really changed my viewpoint on what a birth mother would feel about her child. And so I highly recommend that for anyone especially if you're adopting domestically. Mm. Um, although we have, we know our international kids' birth parents as well. So mm. there's that. The second one that I read um, is a book called Everything You Ever Wanted by Jillian Lauren. Have you read this yet, Kelly? I have not. Okay. So this is, this is by Jillian Lauren, who is a friend of mine and just a beautiful writer. And she has, um, her son was born in Ethiopia. Mm. And the book is just... Um, it's things I thought as a parent that I don't think I could have ever said out loud. She wrote them down. (laughs) Oh, wow. um, It is just a really, really raw view um, into what that process looks like. And so I recommend that book Mm -hmm. for sure. Absolutely. And then the other... The other question, and I always love this one, is what is the one person who has had the most influence on you in regards to orphan care? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, I can't say the one person that's had the most influence. Can I say someone that's influencing me right now? Absolutely. Okay. So someone that's influencing me right now is my friend Maris. Mm. Um, and she is a mama to four, um, two biological, two through adoption. And when she parents her kids in their hard places, it causes me um, to love Jesus more. And mm. it causes me um, to really think about how I am showing the gospel to my kids and giving them grace. Um, she is, she's all constantly pouring out grace to her kids um, in the midst of their trauma and um, struggles. And so she is a huge influence on me as a mom parenting kids from hard places. And so my friend Maris is doing great stuff. Mm, I love that. Just the that's being in the trenches and mm-hmm. um, man, it takes the love of Jesus to really get to, to sustain us and to yeah. provide and just mm-hmm. to to watch that is a beautiful, beautiful example of the gospel. Man, that's great. Um, well, Jamie, I'm so glad that we got to chat and I'm just so thankful for your your voice and how you're using your podcast to um, just to highlight great organizations, great women who are doing fabulous things for the kingdom and also for 
uh, just orphan care, even they even though they may not realize it. Um, but I just want to say thank you for using your voice and all that you're doing. Oh, thanks so much. And I'm glad you guys are doing the show. Mm, we, we, we are loving it for sure. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. Thanks, Kelly. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the conversation I had with Jamie. Phil, what, what stood out to you? Yeah, well, one of the things that just really just grabbed me was was just her vulnerability and just just when you were talking about um the difficulties the 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 struggles that it's not just some you know when you when you bring a child home there's really not even a honeymoon period usually it's just hard and and not because you know it's not always just the kids really it's just the whole thing there's so much to it that we often don't think about and so I think that that was something that really just stood out in the midst of it for me, someone who hasn't adopted, but I know that so many people, I imagine, I'm just, I'm just assuming, and I could be wrong, but I doubt that I'm wrong in this, that so many people are probably so, going to be so encouraged by that. And just to be able to hear that and to be able to know that, you know, and I, I assume that most people know they're not alone in it, but still to hear that and continually be hearing that, you know, God puts all these people who can encourage each other and help each other through difficult times, through these tough times. And to, to know if you are listening to this out there and you're going through it right now, I encourage you to just find people to go and to, to encourage you in it and to share that with you and to, 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 to get into that with you. And because I know there's people who could help you out with that. And then the other thing that I really appreciated about Jamie was just how she um, is really uh, taking on these causes that are are so important, the women's empowerment issue, the fact that she goes to women's prisons and, and she knows that she has a voice, she knows that she has a platform and she's able to um, use it um, in ways that can encourage others. But she doesn't just talk about it. She goes and does it. And she goes into the mess of it and she, she goes over to, you know, with the Help One Now trip that she was able to do. I think that's also kind of cool that, you know, Chris talked about it. Chris Marlowe talked about it a few episodes ago. And now we have Jamie on who actually went with him on, on one of the trips that he, that he was talking about. And, and just to see how she is able to, um, put, uh, you know, put her money where her mouth is, so to speak. Right. She's, she get, is getting her feet dirty. She's getting her hands dirty in this. And I would just, uh, you know, so many people out there are, so critical about oh the celebrity culture this or that and there are a lot of issues with the celebrity culture in our in our world today but to hear Jamie's heart to hear how she is actually you know she's the real deal doing this work um, and and sharing with others lessons she's learning and the vulnerability the transparency that she showed in that interview uh, I was super encouraged and I hope that everyone out there was as well I agree. I think that, you know, we've had a lot of different range of guests on. And I think Jamie brings the voice of here's a mom with four kids who is maxed out on time. She works from home and she also is um, she is intentional with the time that she does have in mm-hmm. in being able to pour that into others and to really, um, really try to make an impact and to empower women. And so I think that hopefully is an encouragement to to all people out there that it, it may not be your calling to go across, you know, the globe and work in an orphanage in Cambodia, but it may be driving across your town and volunteering at a prison or volunteering, you know, in an after school program or mentoring all of these things like we all can do something. And so I think Jamie really highlighted that and encouraged me to kind of really step back and say, where am I doing that as well? And so, Phil, I think you were able to, um, again, ask a few questions at CAFO of some of the guests there. And so why don't you highlight what our thoughts from the field is for today? Yeah. So this segment, as we talked about last week, uh, thoughts from the field and Mike Howerton is uh, the man that I was able to ask the same question that I asked Andrew that we uh, put on last week, which is what's what's the one one of the main biggest issues that we're facing today in the orphan crisis and how can we address it? And this is this is special for a couple of reasons. One is is Mike talks about an issue that I think is super critical 
um, in, in the work that we're doing and in engaging churches in particular. But the other reason this is special is Mike and I uh, grew up in the same church pretty much from birth. Um, both of us were part of Mission Video Christian Church. We grew up there, and so to now be able to do uh, this work with Mike um, is so exciting. He's, he's a pastor up at Overlake Church um, in uh, Washington, doing some phenomenal work up there, and he's a, a friend, a brother, and this is just a couple minutes from him, um, and I just really encourage you to soak it in. My name is Mike Howerton. I'm the lead pastor of Overlake Christian Church in Seattle, Washington. And one of the thoughts I have about a big issue in the orphan care movement today uh, has to do with with pastors and, and with churches not participating in the conversation at all. And so as a pastor, I would love to communicate to pastors that uh, it actually is, is less intimidating than it might think. I know a lot of pastors already feel that they are um, they're stretched beyond limit. They're, um, they're overcommitted already and under-resourced. And so the idea of launching another ministry uh, is probably not a welcome idea. But the truth of the matter is that there are vulnerable children in every community and there are, uh, there are needs uh, to care for vulnerable children everywhere. And specifically, I would say in virtually every congregation, there already is a population that's caring for vulnerable children. There, you already have families in, in every congregation that are opening their homes to adopt or to take in foster kids. And so the truth is, it, the, the challenge is really just to see the gospel uh, as, a, as a, the metaphor that Paul certainly uses for, um, he uses adoption uh, for this. And so Ephesians chapter one, Paul writes that, that it's always been God's plan to adopt us into his family. Or in Romans, we, we know that we have now received the spirit of sonship. And so we cry out, uh, Abba, Father. And, and these are not accidental metaphors that Paul uses, but they, they wrap right into God's heart that uh, his followers are followers who care for the orphan. And, and that's why James writes, that's true religion there. So for me, the challenge would simply be to start the conversation, that, uh, that this would be, again, to leak out in sermons and in the way that you understand the gospel, and that you would simply provide space for those families who are already in the stream of orphan care to have dialogue and support and connection. And then, Pastor, I would even encourage you, then get out of the way and just let God do what God wants to do in your church context. So that's, that's my thought on what it takes to, to solve this problem of orphan care. Well, again, that was uh, some really inspiring and, and challenging um, stuff from Mike there. Just to hear that call, something I talk a lot about when I uh, am talking with churches is if, if it's not part of the DNA of your church that, that we are called and it's the core of God's heart to love orphaned and vulnerable children, it's going to be really difficult to get the church engaged and understanding the collective calling that we have. And so Mike's words there are so real and so true and something we all really need to internalize. I agree. Uh, the church that Jamie uh, was talking about was the church that she and I both went to um, in, uh, in the Nashville area. And what we saw was one person, one family adopt, and then another family adopt, and then another family adopt, and then our pastor adopted. And there was literally one time when our family was in the church office, and the only non-adopted children were my two girls at the time. And so, I mean, I think that just shows the impact that it can have, especially when a pastor um, sets that calling out um, across the congregation. And so that was, I totally agree with him. And I think he is, uh, he's living that out as well at Overlake. So Phil, we are going to end our show with our Kelly and Phil recommendations. So why don't you share something you want to recommend to our, our, our audience? 
Well, I'm uh, also excited about this segment just because I, you know, we did it a couple times last season, but just there's so many things that you and I are reading and listening to and watching and just to be able to share that with with you folks out there and and hopefully you'll be reading stuff and sharing it with us and encouraging us to to expand our horizons as well. But one thing I want to talk about today, this book that I read, it's it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, a book that I've started probably 50,000 times in my life um, and read the first couple uh, segments and letters in that book. But it's such a fascinating book, and it's a book that, that applies to us just as human beings. And it's something that it's effectively the story is. It's a, a demon teaching another demon. And it's written uh, in a way that is teaching us as Christians what to be on guard for what we need to to really be uh, aware that we are, um, you know, go up against the spiritual warfare that we're up against. And it's something that, uh, you know, the apathy that we have that, you know, this demon was talking about, if if we can just get them to, you know, forget about the need for God, that that's a huge victory. That's, that's the best. And to be thinking about that continually, um, that we are up against something that is really wanting a warring against our minds, warring against our souls. And one of the things that the enemy wants more than anything is for us to stop caring about these children, for us to not think about them, for us to just live in our, uh, our own little lives, our own little worlds and have an apathy towards the huge plight and the huge issues that are going on in our world today. So I just challenge everyone out there to pick up that book. It's a, it's a quick read. Um, it's thick with just wisdom. Um, and it's something that I am so glad that I finally uh, read it and worked through it. Um, and just it's something that I know will impact me for, for many years to come. So with that, we have another episode um, done, and I'm just excited again for you guys to continue learning alongside with me and Kelly, and I just ask, I ask you to, to rate our show and to review this show on iTunes. That'll help people. It'll help it get out there more. I encourage you and ask you to give, give us some comments, give us some questions so that we will have more for our mailbag, so we'll have more uh, ability to interact with with each and every one of you out there so we we covet and cherish your comments and questions and interaction with us and we just love that you're engaging uh, these very very difficult issues with us we hope you've enjoyed today's think orphan podcast for all the information in this week's podcast please visit us at thinkorphan.com. you too can be part of the conversation send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the think orphan facebook page thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of think orphan 